the earnings, the Fed, the jobs, it's Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Boy, you got a lot to talk about in the next 60 minutes. Glad you're here. Also on the way, challenges for high net worth individuals. We're going to cover that. Ask Annex. A couple of really sweet questions from grandparents asking about funding education for grandchildren. Really nice stuff. Closed-end funds. And also toward the end of the show, we're going to talk about quadros during divorce and the effect on retirement planning. I'm Danny Clayton, Derek Felsky, Chief Investment Officer. Welcome. Thank you, Danny. Dave Spano, our President and CEO. Welcome to you. Yeah, thanks, Danny. Of course, the Week in Review is what we do to start the show, and there was a lot to review this week. Most importantly, the highly anticipated Fed report came out, followed by Chairman Powell's report, and it was interesting, but it was as expected, a 25 base point hike followed by a wait and see attitude right and 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 really the most important thing was a single word in the prior press conference Powell said that he anticipated that further rate hikes will be necessary in this most recent press conference he said that the economy and data will determine whether future raises are necessary and right now the market believes that the Fed is in a pause mode yeah so there's really three choices here for the Federal Reserve it is to continue to hike it is to pause the rate hikes or it is to pivot and start to send them down. And so right now it is a wait and see. We'll see what the data is. But I will tell you, the payroll report that we got on Friday morning was not good for his argument. Not really. I mean, the employment, the jobs report, we added 253,000 jobs in the month. The estimate was for 185. But it really wasn't as strong as it looked because there were downward revisions to February and March by 150,000. So the jobs market is still strong, as Powell indicated in the press conference, but it is showing signs of weakness as job openings continue to diminish. So the job openings is one thing, but the unemployment rate went from 3.6 down to 3.4%. Wages went up. And so it is is the big reason why a lot of people are just saying it's a flip of the coin on will there be a recession because as you recall the definition of a recession changed last year in Wikipedia and it wasn't just two back-to-back quarters of, of negative GDP they looked at employment and employment remains really strong and that is going to be a difficult argument for the Fed to make so we'll watch that we got the payroll report we got the Fed and of course we're in the middle of earnings season right and earnings season has gone better than feared we've heard we heard from Apple uh, for example, on uh, Thursday night, uh, they reported a better-than-expected quarter. They announced a $90 billion buyback. Uh, they raised their dividend, and iPhone sales were better than expected. So Apple, you know, the largest market cap-weighted company in the S&P, triggered a sharp rally on Friday uh, after four down days. So the markets finished lower for the week, but they, they are surprisingly resilient given the things we've heard about the regional bank sector and, and the banking system in general. So let's go back to Apple just for a second. It's always interesting to listen to these calls and the fact that Apple's revenue was at a record high, especially in India. India now bigger than China, shockingly. Right, and India has been a difficult market to break into, and of course it's the most populous country on earth, most people don't know that, Uh, and obviously that's a new opportunity for Apple as they continue to extend their dominance. Again, Apple is not a cheap stock, it's highly and widely owned, uh, but again, they delivered and people were happy about that on Friday. So let's talk about that for a second, you talk about the rally that we have, 4,100 or so on the S&P 500, uh, off of a low of 35 to 3,600, but a lot of 
that gain comes from these big names that you've outlined? Right. Uh, Ten names have essentially accounted for all of the advance in the S&P 500 year to date. That's a dangerous situation in a sense because a narrow leadership can certainly reverse as valuation thresholds are reached. And we've talked about this a lot on our investment committee that, you know, the economy still remains strong, but the effect of all of these interest rate hikes are yet to be felt. Not only the interest rate hikes, but also the, the possibility that loan growth will slow at regional banks as they're forced to hunker down a little bit as depositors flee for higher yielding spots to go. Uh, so there are a lot of cross currents, and that's why we kind of recommend a balanced approach to the markets. We so, believe there is upside, but not a lot. And so let's talk a little bit about uh, the earnings. Uh, Again, put a bow on that. Earnings season is coming to an end. It is better than expected. It's down as expected, not down as much, but better than expected. And about 80% of companies have already reported. Right. EPS growth in the S&P is now tracking at minus 5% year over year. Uh, When earnings season began, the thought was it would be minus 7%. So better than expected. Again, a low bar. So the real key is going to be what's going to happen in Q3. Right now, the Atlanta Fed is not forecast a recession. In fact, their Q2 estimate for GDP, which will affect Q2 results, is for an increase in GDP of over 1%. So the, the slowdown that everyone's waiting for is yet to materialize. Derek Felsky, our Chief Investment Officer, Annex Wealth Management. Dave Spano, our President and CEO. That's our Week in Review. If you want to catch that on demand this weekend, head to Spotify. That's where it'll be at the top of the hour. It'll be in the Axiom newsletter this weekend. So if you don't have that, sign up for that or wherever you get your podcasts. It's Saturday, May 6th. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. We're going to be right back on 620 WTMJ. We are back. Sign up for the Axiom. That's our weekly newsletter. That's my quick reminder. Social media, we're all over it. LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, YouTube, adding new videos weekly. And not just a couple. We got a bunch all that have been produced by Annex Wealth Management and the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. Real proud of that. That's from the Annex Wealth Management investment team. If you really love the Week in Review, you're going to love that because it goes in deep. You can get that at Spotify. I'm Danny Clayton. Derek Felsky is here, Chief Investment Officer, Dave Spano, President and CEO. I want to recover a couple of things that we did in the first segment, Danny, and that is really we talked about recession, and everyone has it on their mind. And if we have a recession, I big air quotes on, on the radio right now, if it will be the most anticipated recession of all time. But let me just tell you, folks, we saw a report this week that showed the export of vehicles, oil, and natural gas did a number on the trade deficit. Yeah, I mean, we continue to be a exporter of energy products. And, you know, one of the reasons that we we believe very strongly in the energy sector is there just hasn't been enough capital investment in that area over the last 10 years. And despite the, the, the volatility of oil prices with an upward buy-it since the COVID, we haven't seen a sharp increase in production. So we believe there is a floor under energy prices. We also believe that at some point the U.S. government is going to replenish the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And, and, and energy stocks traded very attractive free cash flow multiples. In fact, Warren Buffett, you know, one of the greatest investors of all time, continues to add to his exposure in energy. Yeah, so the Berkshire uh, meeting was this last weekend, and that was news, is that he increased his positions across the energy sector. And as you point out, energy inventory is actually dropping. And all of this means when there's an export of these things, vehicles, oil, and natural gas, that has an effect on GDP. And that's why I bring it up, because if you 
you have a positive GDP, that is going to suggest that we may not get to back-to-back quarters of negative GDP. Right, and, and we could very well have a rolling recession. We've seen a recession in, in the manufacturing sector. We've seen a recession in you know tech spending for software in particular in semiconductors. And we're now starting to see a little bit of a slowdown on the services side, which has been driving the U.S. economy. The key is unemployment still remains low. And when unemployment is low, consumers are confident they will spend money. And while we can talk all we want about the fear of a recession, consumers don't really think that way. You know, they think about what it is that they want, you know, where they want to go and so on. And they were suppressed during COVID, not to mention China is starting its COVID recovery. And that's in its early stages. And that can offset some of the weakness we're seeing in other places. So we certainly talked about a lot of these crosswinds and there are, and there's an old saying that goes back hundreds of years called sell in May and go away. What it suggests, folks, is that when you get to May that you should reduce your, eliminate your securities positions and then come back in the fall. Now, obviously we don't apply that because that is market timing, something that we don't do, but there is certainly an opportunity to talk about positioning and not timing. Right. Seasonality is is a driving force. I mean, fund, you know, Portfolios tend to get funded at year-end. People are optimistic at the beginning of the year. As we approach the summer months, many people on Wall Street go away for the summer, so that we do tend to see more volatility during uh, the summer month. And historically, the May to uh, September period has performed worse than the other six months of the year, but it's not a fait accompli. It's not a, a way to guide your portfolio, but it's certainly something we do keep in mind as a committee. Uh, we do expect volatility continued because the Fed put is not existent at this moment, and the, the the possibility of further declines in earnings revisions is possible. When I talk about positioning, we're really talking about sectors, for example, on the equity side, in the on the domestic side, or internationally, is where do you overweight or underweight? Again, as you pointed out, in the some of the sectors right now, there is opportunities that are trading at low PEs and have high cash flow, and vice versa. There are some that are really overvalued, and that's where we talk about moving one, from one side to the other. Right. I mean, right now, basically, we're tactically overweight technology. We believe that that the tech companies will continue to weather the storm. They've cut costs over the past uh, year or so as they realize they overhired during the COVID boom. So we do like tech companies that make money, and I underscore make money. We like the energy sector. We continue to like healthcare. Every every week we hear about new innovations in the healthcare space. Biotechs, many of them are now trading at below cash. So we believe some M&A, act, M&A activity is going to creep into healthcare. And finally, we like international stocks. They're, they're well-valued. They will benefit from a weaker dollar which we believe is inevitable, and the valuations are very attractive. Dave, I always figure that we've got probably three types of listeners to the show. We've got do-it-yourselfers. I want to remind you folks, it takes everything, investment, retirement planning, tax planning, estate planning, together. So if we can help get you over the finish line. Clients, if you're a client of Annex Wealth Management, we want to thank you so very much for that. It means a lot to us each and every day. Tell a friend. We'd sure appreciate that. And then finally, if you're working with somebody else, don't you deserve a second look at what you've got? Exactly. And that is just the second opinion that we give. And it really is something that you should take advantage of, folks. The challenges for high net worth individuals, we are familiar with it because we work with many of them. We're going to take a break and be back with that next on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management. Our firm works with many high net worth clients, and it's a great relationship. 
and it makes sense. These individuals and families have a unique brand of challenges that require sound advice and a team approach. Nuances, complexities, challenges. That's what these situations have. And with the help of Annex, satisfactory solutions. Brandon Lehman is director of Annex, private client, a CFP and a wealth manager who works with a number of high net worth clients here. Welcome. Danny. So who are these high net worth individuals? And, and we've done things like this before. They're not lottery winners. No, no. High net worth individuals and even the ultra high net worth, a lot of that wealth is accumulated through, frankly, hard work. It's establishing, creating a business, building it from ground zero, and eventually getting to the point where you monetize that business, whether it's a sale to the next generation, a sale to an outside investor, something like that. But that's where a lot of it comes from. Or executives that have built their careers and, and got to the top and worked extremely hard. That's where this tends to come from. A lot of American success stories. There are. There are so many stories where you talk to individuals where they started with $5,000 and they built this dream and they poured their heart and soul into it for 20, 30, 40 years of their their life and they finally get to reap their rewards. But what comes with that is a lot of complexities. And one of them is changing tax codes. It's on the mind of many, many people, but definitely high net worth people. This is where sometimes it can get political, but that's not the point today. No matter what side of the aisle you're on, you have to think about it from this. We need to have taxes and taxes are a thing. So we need to think about taxes. What do we do? How do we handle it? And there's multiple ways to go, right? We just had the biggest change in taxes in 2017 with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Well, what did that do? It retained the seven structures, but changed five of them. And what's really unique about this is it brought it from 39.7 down to 37%. Yeah, you're saying, well, 2%, maybe almost three, no big deal, but it is because in the long run, that is impactful. What's even more unique about this and why we're talking about it right now is these are set to expire if nothing changes at the end of 2025. So we need to start planning about it. The other thing is there's a whole set of regulations and new laws that have been proposed. Will they be passed? Who knows? But we need to think about it. High net worth families are thinking about this because if you have more than a million dollars in income, all of a sudden your tax rate on long-term capital gains has been proposed to go up. Your tax rate has been proposed to go up. All of these things might seem small, but can have a huge impact. Brandon Lehman is director of Annex Private Client, CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. We're talking about high net worth clients and their concerns. Let's talk about estate planning for these individuals. This is one where if you think back, you know, in the 90s, the estate tax exemption was $600,000. And then kind of fast forward, we had that weird anomaly in 2010 where there was none. It started to creep up. And then with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, it reset and basically today is roughly just under $13 million per person. Well, as we talked about before, this is all resetting in 2025, the end of, in the start of 2026. Well, what does that mean? With where it is now at $24 million for a couple, most people aren't concerned. That's dropping down to 12. And stuff that hasn't been talked about in a while, portability, building this all out, what does that mean? How do we account for this? Because of over that amount, now all of a sudden you're paying 40% to the government after that last spouse has passed. That's a like huge hit. So there's a lot of planning, a lot of discussion that has been had in the past, but now it's really starting to come down the pike to have these discussions, see what it means, and really see the impact. It's so incredible on what this can do to a family when all of a sudden you've gave away 40% to the United States government. Let's talk about sustaining lifestyle during retirement. That's something we work with with high net worth clients. Yeah, so this is another area where you have to start thinking about it more in bucket terms. And Mark Beck and I have talked about this in the past where you have your bucket strategies, but when you extrapolate this out to the high net worth space, you have to think about it more 
in a multiple bucket segment. And there's buckets of liquidity, right? What are those immediate term needs that that just funds that lifestyle that you have? Then you have kind of that short term bucket you start to think about. That's going to be invested in a way that you're trying to generate some yield, but isn't exposed to too much market risk, maybe, depending on the situation. Then you get into kind of more of a fixed income bucket. Than an equity bucket. The last bucket, which we do tend to see a lot of folks can be overweight in, is the illiquidity bucket. What do I mean by that? So they're heavy in real estate. They're heavy maybe in private equity. They're heavy in their business. Well, those are great things for having a net worth. They're not so great when it comes to liquidity. So it's structuring these things and these plans and these goals in a way that offers liquidity, but also has opportunity for long-term growth. What does Annex bring to the table to work effectively to meet the needs of high net worth clients? When you look at it, you have an amazing team of individuals that is going to come to the plate and sit down and focus on all these areas, whether it's tax, whether it's estate, whether it's planning. And I don't mean financial planning, you know, can I retire today? It's what did the distribution planning look like? How do we structure this? How do we focus on liquidity, but also make sure that we have this bucket of assets grow basically into perpetuity, continue it along, but then safeguard it as best we can from taxes. And we've got teams dedicated to this. We do. So you look at the wealth strategist team that we have here in those folks and the dedicated work that they do in this space where they really dive down deep into the weeds to make sure that overall the clients are taken care of and they meet those long-term objectives. Brandon Lehman, Director of Annex Private Client, CFP and a Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Danny. Saturday, May 6th, bottom of the hour. Let's get caught up. And for that, we head to the WTMJ Breaking News Center. Back on the show, and it's time for Ask Annex. As always, we are open for questions at AnnexWealth.com. Looking for that Ask tab. If we can help, just hit that Get Started button. In the studio, Sarah Kyle, a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Welcome. Hi, Danny. And we got Trevor Nargis, a senior trader in Annex Wealth Management. Welcome to you. Hey, Danny. Sarah, I think we got a combo question here. Betty is the first, James is the second. Betty asks, we are new grandparents. Are there any investment options that would allow us to contribute to our grandchildren's savings while also providing tax benefits for us as grandparents. James' question is, how can we invest in our grandchildren's future education while still providing them with access to funds for other expenses they may have growing up? That's a two-parter. They kind of coincide with each other. So I'll answer this as a two-part question. So my favorite two options would be when you're helping out your grandchildren, I always suggest either doing a 529 plan or an UGMA account. And that's a custodial investment account. And that stands for Uniform Gifts to Minors Act. So let's talk about the 529 plan first. So now that's for higher education. So you do get a tax deduction with that. For 2023, you get a deduction of $3,860 per beneficiary if you're filing your taxes jointly or $1,930 if filing separately. Now that's a state tax deduction. You can contribute more, but those are the tax deduction limits. With the 529 plan, it's invested and it's managed. And the most popular one in Wisconsin is the Edvest. And the only drawback is it can only be used for qualified education expense. Now, some people get worried that their grandchild won't go to college or won't use the full balance. Now, with the new Secure Act 2.0, 
they have stated that some of that excess money can now be rolled into a Roth account in the beneficiary's name. But of course, there are some rules around that now. So the 529 plan needs to be open for 15 years. The maximum amount you can roll over into that Roth would be $35,000. And you can't roll over the last five years of contributions. And that beneficiary must have income. So, you know, there's a lot of rules around it, but it's still a step in the right direction. So now the second part is that UGMA account. This is a good option that allows you to transfer assets to your grandchild while still maintaining control of that account until they reach the age of majority. Now that age in Wisconsin is 18 and it can be 21 depending on what state you are in. But the drawback to that is once they turn of age, you are handing that account over to the child. Next up on Ask Annex is from John. What's your opinion of closed-end funds? Are there other funds that are similar but aren't closed to new investors? We're talking off-air. I thought closed-end funds were closed. Yeah, so it's it's kind of, again, like Sarah's question, this is kind of a two-parter in a sense. A closed-end fund doesn't necessarily mean that it's closed new investors. So let's tackle this in two parts. So closed-end funds, those are somewhat similar to something like a mutual fund. However, there's only a fixed number of shares, and those tend to be created at the IPO when uh, the management team is raising money. Those closed-end funds are typically actively managed. Sometimes they'll use leverage, and they tend to trade at a discount or a premium to their NAV because there is that fixed number of shares. Now, closed-end versus open-end funds, right? Open-end funds, shares are both bought and sold, but also created and redeemed, kind of like a traditional mutual fund. And those tend to trade at or close to NAV. So so closed-end, kind of just fixed number of shares created at the IPO, actively managed, there's leverage, so on and so forth. Now, closed to new investors, that doesn't always mean the same thing, right? You hear close and sometimes people get the notion in their mind that those things kind of go hand in hand. But what closed and new investors means is typically associated with mutual funds. So what mutual funds will do sometimes is they will close the fund to new investors if they believe that they've hit a size or will hit a size sometime soon that will limit their ability to manage their strategy to the best of their ability. So let's say, for example, you have a mutual fund manager who's running a micro cap or a small cap strategy. Well, those companies, they're often quite small. They might not be that liquid. Shares don't trade that much. So what they might do, they don't want to get too big because otherwise they can really move the price of those small companies. So they might close their fund to new investors to kind of help manage size a little bit better. And Trevor, if they're close to new investors, sometimes they can reopen too. They can reopen, yep. So there are instances in which the fund might close to new investors, but then maybe they get some more outside capital, they can branch out a little more into different areas of the market, and then new investors can come back in. And with close to new investors, there are people who are still investing. It doesn't mean that's closed to new money. There are people who still are investors in the fund at the time it closed. They usually can add some more money into the fund. But yeah, it ebbs and flows. It's it's a bit dynamic. Trevor Nargis, Senior Trader, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks. Thanks, Danny. Sarah Kyle is a Wealth Manager at Annex Wealth Management. Thank you. Of course. What's a quadro? How does it come into play when a couple divorces? That's next after a break on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Know the difference with Annex Wealth Management, joined by Todd Voigt, Chief Investment Strategist at Annex Wealth Management. Hey, Todd. Hi, Danny. So you're a vital cog in the Annex Wealth Management Investment Committee machine. Plenty of exposure to a number of clients, and over the course of your career, unfortunately, probably seen some marriages end, which is a process that requires the detangling of assets. One of the terms people might be familiar with is Qualified Domestic Relations Order, or 
quadro. Could you please define quadro for us? Sure. A quadro is a domestic relations order. It's a court order dividing up retirement plans and divorce because retirement plans are considered marital property. Retirement plans can be tapped into pay alimony, child support. They're generally used to divide retirement plans, and not all the time are they used. One spouse is getting a house, the other one's getting a retirement plan. There wouldn't be a necessity for a quadro. So who would decide that division besides the quadro? It's usually negotiated between the attorneys for the property division. During the divorce process, when a couple has portfolios that include pensions, 401ks, and other various retirement accounts, what options does each party have when working through that division? For starters, each state considers retirement plans as marital assets. Quadro can award a lump sum even before retirement and right away in many cases from 401k to be paid to a spouse. Non-participant spouse can take direct distributions from the 401k or similar plan without a tax penalty or transfer all or a portion to an IRA. The key is they can divide that and take part of it as cash, part of it rolled over to an IRA, or generally it's all rolled over to an IRA. What does non-participant mean? means the spouse that's not a participant to the retirement plan that's not employed as part of that plan. I just want to add something to that. There's defined contribution plans to your 401k. Those are account balances. Those can be divided rather easily. Then there's defined benefit plans, kind of like the type of plans that your parents would own that have monthly benefits, those are split as well. And they can be split in any proportion. And the non-participant spouse has the same ability to retire when they want to and start taking their part of that benefit. Let's talk taxes. Would the plan withhold income taxes on the distribution? On lump sum distributions from a quadro, most plans are required to withhold 20%. There are a few exceptions like employee stock ownership plans, but a safe assumption is that on direct distribution, other than rolling the proceeds to an IRA, there will be withholding 20% for taxes. This is not a penalty. The monies that were contributed to the plan are generally not taxed, so it's taxed coming out of the plan, no different for the participant spouse or the the non-participant spouse. With Todd Voigt, Chief Investment Strategist at Annex Wealth Management, we're covering qualified domestic relations orders or quadros during a divorce. So what are the options for the spouse and the proceeds? I mean, does it stay in the plan or is it better to roll it over, invest it otherwise? Well, the non-participant spouse can keep their interest in the plan. Plan generally doesn't care for that idea, but they still have all the, the rights of the participant. But many will take the distribution, roll it to their IRA, so they maintain control over their money and not the company. Because you have many more options outside the plan. Yeah. You can get the same options in the plan, like if, if it's a 401k. And this is true for even just people retiring and, and have a choice of keeping it in the 401k or rolling it to an IRA. The difference is in the IRA, they can get CDs, treasuries, stocks. They can get the same funds that they had in a 401k. So they have much more flexibility, probably ease of moving monies in and out to safe places or whatever. But they can also cash in a portion of that quadro distribution. Keeping it in mind, no penalty, but they'll end up paying regular income tax. And that can be before 59 and a half. So who helps with this during a divorce? Is this a divorce attorney thing? Is this a wealth management partner like Annex Wealth Management? Because I'm going to guess this is a really important moment. People need to watch out for certain red flags. Oh, you're right. It's a major asset, and it's one of the two major assets, of, you know, besides a house and a, and a marital estate. Annex can 
definitely help with the distribution to the alternate payee in their own IRA and follow through with cash flow retirement planning. It's important for the non-participant spouse receiving a distribution that doesn't have that planning or investment experience. And so you can go to Annex a Wealth Manager and get a plan. That, that, to me, is really important. I've dealt with this. I've written articles published on Quadro's, a small segment of that chief investment strategist role. But it's really important, this transition for that alternate payee, even for the participant spouse, as they roll into retirement, that they have that type of plan and guidance. And we know the ins and outs and the intricacies of that. So regardless who prepares the quadro, the main thing is that whoever is the alternate payee, they receive competent advice, not only competent advice on the quadro, but competent advice when it comes to investments, the markets, and the economy, and so forth. And so a big part of that rollover is not just rolling it over into an IRA. It's what you do with it at that point. So you need that investment guidance. You need tax planning assistance for that. Annex also has the team that will work on the estate planning part and work with the attorneys or in tax planning, work with the CPAs. And so I think it's really important to follow through. It's a crucial decision. Folks, if you need the help, our website, AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Start that wealth metric process. We'll guide you through. Todd Voigt, Chief Investment Strategist, Annex Wealth Management. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Danny. Quick break. We're going to be back to wrap things up. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show on 620 WTMJ. Back on Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show. Quick reminder, this show is going to be on Spotify as a podcast at the top of the hour. If you came in late or if you want to hear the whole thing again, we sure appreciate that, but you can find it on Spotify. Another thing is, is the Annex Wealth Management SWAT podcast. If you want to get in really deep on what is going on in the brains of the Annex Wealth Management investment team, that would be the place. Their 50th episode happens on Monday. That's on Spotify. I'm Danny Clayton. Dave Spano, our president and CEO and a CFP, is in the studio. And we also want to welcome a brand new teammate to the Annex Wealth Management team, Brian Jacobson. Brian is chief economist. Welcome. Thanks for having me. Well, we're almost done with the show. I don't have enough time to properly introduce you with all of your titles, but let's let's just list a few of them. <laughs> well, I've done the trifecta of, uh, of institutions here. So I did Madison, Milwaukee for my PhD, Marquette for the law degree, CFA, CFP, CAIA, CBE. I, I you know, I just wanted to have a full JD. Out. Don't forget oh, yeah, about JD. that one. Yep. I yeah. wanted a fold out business card, basically. <laughs> Dave, if we had all that stuff, we'd be constantly talking oh, about yeah, there's it. There's no yeah. question. So yeah, total underachievement. Brian said, thanks for joining us. You and I have known each other for a long time. In fact, I remember you being a guest on the show, I don't know, 15, 20 years ago that we were doing this. And interesting enough is that you continue to be out there in the media. And in fact, I mean, you've done everything from CNBC to Bloomberg to the Wall Street Journal and continuing to do that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun to be really a spokesperson for the firm, uh, to just try to educate the population, uh, because there's a lot of information and misinformation, things that that can be misconstrued. So I, I'm, I, I'm a teacher at heart. That's why I'm so passionate about being here because I know that's what you guys are really all about. Yeah, we, education we, and information. We are, and I want to tell you, Brian, there is a place that you really can help, and that's really in the ultra high net worth and high net worth space because the folks that are in that arena have separate issues and different issues that we normally don't talk about, especially on the investment side. But there are unique things that we can do in that space. There really are, and I actually really like that area, mainly because of the numerous topics and how they're all intertwined. Asset allocation versus asset location, private markets, public markets, concentrated stock positions. How do you manage that type of risk? So it's really a fascinating area. 
area that I've studied deeply, worked in for many, many years, and so I'm really honored to be here to be part of that. And really, as a professor, as a lawyer, as a CFP, I mean, these are a lot of designations that you can bring to our team and really excited about that. But I do want to go back to your opportunity set of going on live media. You have an opportunity this coming week to speak nationally. That's right. Yeah. So this upcoming Friday, I'm going to be able to be on Fox Business News during the claim and countdown. So at about two o'clock central time, sometime between two and uh, three o'clock, I'll be able to be joining them uh, live from our uh, studio. You know, one of the things I want to talk to you about, Brian, and have our listeners hear this is you talked about the unique opportunity set that some folks have. When we talk about, for example, lending, I've heard this a lot lately, especially in light of what's happening with the banks. But when people have large security portfolios and they don't want to sell some of those securities because of embedded capital gains or the like or some planning, there's things that they can do against the securities that they hold. There absolutely are. Exactly right. And there's all of these choices are amongst those. And we go through that when people come in and we have the entire team come to the room. We have estate planning lawyers. We have tax planners. We have certified financial planners. And now we have an investment expert as well in the room. And Danny, this is when we talk about opportunity sets across, you know, people think about Annex in in certain ways, but we have Annex Ignite. And Ignite is really for those who are just getting going. And we don't talk about that a lot, but then there's Annex Wealth Management when everyone knows and is branded. And of course, there's the high net worth space that we spent a lot of time on. I think day one, Dave, you said investment and retirement planning really is for everyone. Yeah, financial planning is for everyone. Yep. And that's why we've got those things. So if you're listening right now and you've got a kids that are maybe freshly out of college, Annex Ignite might be the perfect thing. Regular Annex client, and then for the high net worth individuals, it's fantastic, and you've built the team to do it. Yeah, and it's a really about a team. You think about success in sports, and it's never about one player or the coach. Al McGuire most famously said, it's not about the X's and the O's, it's about the Jimmy's and the Joe's, and that really <laughs> means who's on the team and who's on the floor. That really separates good teams from good coaches. we got some really smart Jimmy and Joe's and Jane's, and we've got a bunch of them, and you can put them to work. What Annex Wealth Management does, regardless of the client size, investment, retirement planning, tax planning, and estate planning, the most important thing, and we mention this often, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. That is complete fee transparency. Maybe you're with somebody you've been with for a long, long time, and it just doesn't feel right. You're not getting the right communication. Maybe you're not hearing from them at all. Maybe you inherited them. It was a friend of a friend. If you need a fresh look at what you've got, we would love to do that, and we can do that for you quickly. Head to our website. It's AnnexWealth.com. Click that Get Started button. Brian Jacobson, Chief Economist, welcome to the team. Good to see you, and uh, thanks for being on. It's fantastic to be here. Dave Spano was our President and CEO. Thanks for joining us today. Danny, great show. Appreciate that. Folks, Elite Wealth Management, we do it as a fee-only fiduciary. And you've heard just some of what we do in the last hour. You deserve the whole picture. Click the Get Started button today at AnnexWealth.com. See you next Saturday at 10. This is Money Talk, the Annex Wealth Management Show, 620 WTMJ.